Uh, before I read that text this morning, uh, I just want to mention something that actually kind of fits in uh, with what we're going to be talking about today. But uh, many of you uh, know Bruce Anderson, and many of you know that he passed away some time back. And uh, tomorrow at 2 p.m., we're going to be doing a memorial service for Bruce. It's at the uh, Funeral Alternatives uh, location over at the Mas- there's a Masonic Lodge over there. Uh, if you know where that's at, if you don't, talk to me and we'll uh, get you squared away. Um, but we're going to do that tomorrow at 2 o'clock, a graveside uh, service there. And uh, it's actually been interesting. I've known Bruce since I've started coming here six years ago. And uh, I knew him, and he, uh, he was just a, a, a great, godly man who loved the Lord. And I've heard actually lots of stories over the last few weeks about his house on the lake and, and some really neat things uh, that, that, um, that I did not know, and so that's pretty cool. So tomorrow, we're going to just uh, get together with family and friends and just have a time of closure and a time to celebrate his life. So make note of that uh, tomorrow at 2 p.m. Um, First or Second Corinthians, we're going to be diving into today, and uh, we're going to dive into actually uh, this whole idea of comfort. And the theme that I introduced to you last week, the whole theme of Second Corinthians, really is uh, that that God's power is made perfect in weakness or strength in weakness. And so we're going to talk, we're going to see that even today in a very pointed way. And so if you would stand with me as we read Second Corinthians chapter one, we're going to begin in verse three. And we stand at the reading of God's word uh, because it's, it's his word that comes with us with full authority inspired by him, by his spirit. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a mouthful, right? For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. For our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. Father, um, what a loaded passage of scripture we have today on this Father's Day. And I thank you, God, for even the declaration in this passage that you are the Father of mercies, the Father of compassion. And I pray today, God, that we would be drawn to you, drawn into your presence, drawn into your comforting arms, and that we would find security and safety and hope and help in all of our afflictions. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think my monitors are on. It 
feels like it's like just, it feels like it's feeding back in my head. It may just be my head. I'm just saying, I'm not always sure. So, I've shared this in the past, but I'll share it again because I think it it pertains so much to this passage. But um, so I've shared this with some of you this little story. So if you've heard it from me, you know it's like it's okay just hear it again because it'll be relevant. But um, several years ago, um, God had called Christy and I to plant a church, and um, and there was there was a man named Dave who was a significant mentor in my life. In fact, speaking of suffering and affliction, Dave. Uh, just recently had half of his house taken out by a tornado in South Dakota. And, uh, and so talk about affliction and suffering. They're, they're going through it. And, uh, but Dave was a, a huge part of my life and Christy's life and our kids' life, actually. Um, and, uh, but Dave, I was probably 26 years old, and Dave was a guy who was sitting in his minivan, and I'm getting ready to go plant a church. And at 26, when you're planting a church, it's, it's uh, you know, you pretty much think you know everything at 26, planting a church. Every church planter, by the way, thinks they know everything until they plant a church. And, uh, but you think you've got it figured out because you're going to do it better than the guys who keep messing it up, right? You're always going to plant the better church, right? And that's just the way it works. And, and no matter what, you know that's not true, but in your mind, you really think, but yeah, we're going to do it better. And uh, we're, we're not going to make those mistakes. And but I remember Dave uh, sitting in the vehicle, and again, this is the part that some of you have heard, and, but Dave was sitting in the vehicle giving me that kind of rah-rah speech as one of my mentors and an older man who invested in my life, and he, he said, uh, Chris, um, the people who've impacted my life uh, over the years have typically been those who've suffered a lot. And he said, uh, you haven't suffered enough yet. And I remember sitting in the vehicle going, oh, thanks a lot, Dave. I didn't say it out loud, but I'm thinking, wow, this is a great send-off to go plant this church as I'm in the process of moving to another town and leaving everything I know. And, but that was, his, that was his words to me. Uh, and, and now I know what he meant. He was right, 100% right. My guess is in your life as well, that there are people who've had an impact in your life and, and especially in the midst of difficult trials. And a lot of times it's people who themselves have also experienced difficulties and they've experienced comfort from that and they are able to, to connect and relate and care for you in a way that maybe others, maybe a 26-year-old church planting guru, right, uh, could do. And today we're going to find out that the Apostle Paul, he's going to give us a perspective on suffering and trials that we frankly don't have. He's going to to give us a way to think about trials that the ancient world, if you read your Old Testament, the ancient world, all the way up to the moment of of the Corinthian church, up to that present time, uh, but also I would say all the way up to our present time, they did not have this perspective about suffering and trials. In fact, in in the studying of this text, you will often find in commentaries or things that you will read, when it comes to trials and affliction and suffering, you'll find things, titles and headlines like, the problem of suffering, or the problem of evil. In fact, many of us and many people that you know will not become Christians because of the issue of suffering and trials and afflictions and difficulties, right? Right? That whole argument of if, if there really is a good God, then how could he? 
Why does this? Right? That's a big, big challenge, right? But here's the interesting thing. The Bible never wrestles with suffering and conflict and affliction in that way at all. It never addresses it that way. And I know some of you are going to go look now and you're going to try to find something that will challenge my assumption. But at least I can tell you right now, the Apostle Paul doesn't look at suffering and trials as a problem. He doesn't even think about it this way at all. And we're going to see today uh, the way in which Paul and his understanding of life and his understanding of suffering, it flies in the face of all the thinking of his day and all the thinking of ancient uh, you know, ancient Israel and ancient times, and I would say and agree that it probably flies in the face of the way we think of it as well. In fact, I would say for us, we have an aversion to trials. We do everything we can in our culture. This is a luxury of living in a culture with plenty. We have an aversion to any hardships, right? The most important thing we can do when things get difficult is we want to get rid of the difficulty. We don't want to think about it. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you how this is true. Even when it comes to grieving, I'm learning. Because I, I get to be a part of many different cultures as they grieve in our community. I get to, to sit with people from all different cultures and countries while they grieve the loss of a loved one. And you know that we, Americans, we don't grieve very well. We do everything we can to quickly get this past us, and we even say things like, it's time, we need to move on, we need to get over it, like we say these kinds of things. I was with a family from another culture here recently who lost a 16-year-old, and we went into their house. They spent a week together. People came from their country. They, they put tents up all around their house, and they all hung out for a week. They brought their loved one there in a coffin to their house, and they grieved together, young and old. They spent hours together cooking food, making meals, and they, they wept and they grieved over and over again. They told stories and they laughed for a week or more. And we went and visited them two times in this process, and it was just, it blew my mind. I walked away going, man, we stink at grief and suffering. We would never do that. We would never let our kids do that, right? We want to keep them from it, right? We're, we're, really, we're really pretty good about not wanting to deal with that. Paul, Paul has a different perspective on suffering, and so today, I hope that this passage does something that uh, I feel like I get to do all the time, which is to reframe suffering, to, to change our perspective about this. Paul doesn't see suffering and trials as a problem. He sees it as normal life. This is, in fact, what you and I have in common with every person on this planet. None of us goes, gets out of this world unscathed. None of us. I don't care what level it is, you will not live on this earth without having trials and difficulties because we know theologically the underpinning of this is we know that this place is broken. We know that sin has marred and, and broken everything around us, including the fact that we die including the fact that we have relational problems, we have money problems, and we have priority problems, and we have all kinds of problems. These things exist, not surprisingly to a Christian, because we know that this place has been marred by sin, and therefore it is broken, 
And, and this is what the gospel brings to this place. The gospel brings hope of healing and restoration, something that goes beyond the brokenness of this world that is eternal and lasting. And that's what Paul is going to help us see this morning. So Paul begins this letter, and he begins it in a way unlike other letters. Often Paul would, would begin his letters, if you look at some of his letters, they'll begin with his normal greeting, which he gives here, but then he would begin by saying some affirming thing about the church that he's, uh, that he's uh, writing to, and he'll acknowledge some things and some people, but here he jumps right to the point. He doesn't mess around, and not only does he jump to the point, but he does something that's very unusual. He talks about himself in this first, these opening verses. And in fact, I think this is part of what he meant later in later chapters that we'll probably get to later in the summer, later chapters where he says, you Corinthians have driven me to this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk about these things, but you've forced me, you've driven me to the point where I feel like a madman having to talk about some of these things with you. Because you'll remember, context-wise, before we jump into verse 3, that this is one of the criticisms that the Corinthian church was giving to Paul. The criticism was he suffers too much. And, if you, and here's the ancient belief and the belief in Corinth, and I believe our belief as well. We have to be careful about this. They believed, the Corinthians that Paul's addressing, they believed that all of this suffering, the fact that Paul's facing all this adversity, that when people go through hard things all the time, that that must mean that they're doing something wrong, right? If you're constantly in trials... Something must be wrong. You must be messing up. We jokingly say these things, right? When we see somebody who's blessed, we say, he must be living right. Or we see someone who's going through hardships, say, man, what did he do? Who'd he make mad? We jokingly say these things in our culture, right? And we, we have a, a view of difficulties that if you are constantly going through troubles, then that means you've done something wrong. Something's out of whack. Now, I want to just be careful. We'll get to this in a minute. Sometimes it is, right? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Sometimes you really have done some boneheaded stuff, right? And you're suffering because of it, right? So there's, there's no doubt about that. But their view was, if, you're going, if something bad is happening to you, then you must have sinned against God. You must have done something wrong. Paul, Paul is giving us a different picture here this morning. And so he dives in. Uh, and, and he tackles this issue head on. He says, blessed be or praise be the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this, this start. In the Old Testament, you will notice this if you've read through your Bible. You will notice that it, it'll say this, uh, this, this thing over and over. It'll say, uh, blessed be the God, the, the God and the Father of Abraham, the Father of Isaac, and the Father of Jacob, right? Over and over again in the Old Testament, it'll say, praise be to, you know, to, the, to the God of Jacob, the, you know, the, 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 the Father of Jacob, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This goes through that over and over again. All that is to say in the Old Testament, it was a way for God's people as a benediction or as a prayer to highlight the covenant faithfulness of God, that he was absolutely faithful to keep all of his promises. He made promises to human beings, and he was faithful to keep all of those promises, both to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And what he does here in this moment, see, here's a great Father's Day thing, right? What he does here is he just skips over all of that, and he goes to the conclusion, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the, the covenant faithfulness of God to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to each generation was in order to bring about the Messiah, right? And so here, he just begins by saying, you know, blessed be to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the Father of mercies, or some of your translations, the father of compassion. In order, what he's really saying there, that idea of the father of mercies, is he's talking about salvation. So he's saying, he begins this whole blessing by saying, he's the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the point of all the Old Testament. The point of everything is Jesus. And then he's saying, and he is also in Christ the father of mercies. In other words, God in Christ has given to us what we do not deserve. He's merciful. He's compassionate. And the fact that he has fulfilled his promise and Jesus came to this earth and lived and died on a cross proves it. It proves that he is a father of mercies, that he provides for his people that which they don't deserve. They deserve, in fact, in light of this subject of affliction, we do deserve affliction, right? We do deserve to pay for the sins, the, the ways in which we've offended God. And yet our father is a father of mercies who does not give us what we deserve and instead sent his son, as he promised, who took upon himself what we deserved so that we, instead of receiving wrath, would actually get blessing and get life. And so he's the father of mercies. He's the God who saves, and we see this in his son. But he doesn't stop there, and he says in verse 4, or verse 3 first, he says, he's the father of mercies, and he is the God of all comfort. You cannot emphasize enough here the word all. Like he is the God of all comfort. In other words, the source in this life of true and lasting comfort is God. That's it. There is no true and lasting comfort apart from God. Oh, you can be comforted don't get me wrong. There are lots of comforts that you can experience. But if it's not rooted in God, then it will not be lasting comfort. It will be fleeting and temporary, and it will not provide what you truly need. That all true comfort finds its resting place in God. He is the God of all true and lasting comforts. And he comforts us, verse 4, in all our afflictions. He comforts us in all of our afflictions. You see, the problem, just to back up to our problem that people see, the problem is not the affliction. Afflictions aren't the problem. Those are the normal things that happen. The problem is where do you seek comfort in your affliction? You see the issue? Paul's not pointing out that troubles and trials are a problem. That's normal. That's life. But oftentimes, the problem comes in that we seek comfort in places where comfort cannot be found. Or it's fleeting and temporary. 
we look to this thing or to that thing, right? If I just had a different wife, or if my husband would just be this way, then I would, I would be comfortable, right? All my troubles would go away. Life would be good. If my kids were just, or if I had a little more of money, or if I had a better vehicle, if I would have got that promotion, if I would you could just list off, just go through the whole list. When we seek comfort in the midst of our trials in something other than God, that's where problems begin. That's where we become dissatisfied. That's where these things, be, we, we, we seek these false comforts in places where comfort is not supposed to be found. And they're temporary and fleeting and we're constantly in a spiral. And so Paul just begins by showing us that God is the source of all comfort in all of our afflictions. He's the one that we need to turn to. So now let's think about this affliction and comfort. Uh, Let's, in fact, uh, I think what Paul's doing is he's reframing this for us. Um, I live in a psychology world right now for the first time in my life, and uh, we use the word reframing all the time. I find uh, and psychologists use this all the time, and, uh, and I find it like a, a fascinating term, reframing. And uh, for me, it becomes this worldview thing, like, like how do you see the world, right? Do you, if you see it one way, then you're going to play things out in a certain way that might be really satisfying and destructive, or if you see it another way, it could lead to life and, and health and, and all these things. And so, so how, do we, how do we reframe something, something that we often think wrongly about? How do we reframe it? Or something that's difficult, how do we see the bigger picture of that thing? And so we want to look at two things, the, the nature of Paul's affliction first. So how do we, how do we see, what kind of uh, affliction is Paul talking about? Um, there are several types of affliction, just so you know. Uh, the, we could think of things like, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, there is self-inflicted affliction. <laughs> like there are things that we do that bring a trouble upon us that are just, there was just something we did. Like we, we did something we, we know this was not a healthy thing, and all of a sudden the consequences bring them a, a wave of conflict and problems or whatever, and we, we look back and go, that was, really, that was really stupid. I shouldn't have done that. You know? um, and so there's self-inflicted things that you can do that brings about affliction in your life and trials and conflict. Those are things. There's, and, and those things exist, again, because we live in a broken, sinful world. That's the underpinnings of all of this. But you, there's also natural occurrences or disasters that happen too, right? That, that every part of this world is broken. Every part of this world is affected by sin. And there are natural things that occur that you have absolutely zero control over that affect your life. There, there are natural disasters, like literally natural disasters, like my friend Dave, who's rebuilding part of his house right now. There are uh, a whole barrage of things we could mention today that are completely outside of your control. There are things that just happen to you, that afflict you and cause all kinds of problems. There's physical health issues. There's job issues. There's just a whole barrage of these things. None of those things are what Paul's talking about here, however. Paul is talking about suffering that comes as the result of simply being a Christian. Paul is, because he's being accused here of suffering too much, and that is being used against him to discredit his ministry and his apostleship. And so 
the, the suffering I think that Paul is mostly talking about here is the suffering that is the result of simply being a godly man who loves God and wants to share that with the people around him. That's what he's talking about. It doesn't rule, the principles here don't overrule any other kind of affliction because all of it, in all of our afflictions, no matter what they, what they, what's the source of those afflictions? All of them should cause us to run to God, who's the, comfort, the God of all comfort, right? No matter what they are, we should run to him. And so Paul's been through riots and false accusations and false imprisonment and beatings as the result of being a Christian. He has faced incredible adversity. You've got to remember that Paul is also sharing the gospel at a time in which there are no churches, this is, the church is just beginning here, this fledgling movement of God's people that is sweeping across Asia, and it's, it's, a, it's a very different time than today. <laughs> and so, so Paul is going through these afflictions simply because he is a person who loves God. You and I face that as well, right? That, that, that the reality is, is that the gospel transforms us and makes us different people transformed people who now have different priorities, who have different loves, who have uh, different convictions and values, and those convictions and values and priorities sometimes fly in the face of the culture in which a person lives, where, whatever it be, whether it's this one or, or any culture around the world. And because of that, you can be misunderstood. You can be mistreated. You can be treated unjustly. You, you could go through all kinds of difficulties. And one question you, we could simply ask ourselves are, are our convictions about the gospel held deeply enough that we're willing to suffer for them? Our gospel convictions. I'm not talking about your political aspirations or your financial aspirations. I'm talking about gospel rooted convictions? Are they held deeply enough that you're willing to suffer for those things? That you're willing to go through what Paul went through should that come to us? Um, I would pray that that would be yes to, for all of us, but we don't know. As they say, you don't know, what's, you know, you don't know what a tea bag's made of until you drop it in hot water, right? Hot water tends to reveal exactly what's up. And so when we go through trials, we find out. So Paul here is, is talking about the nature, but, but let's, uh, the nature of his afflictions are the fact that he's being persecuted for being a Christian. But let's talk about comfort. So, so the, if the afflictions are that, he says, if, if we are afflicted, he says, he's talking about his afflictions. But, but then in comfort, he says, for, I, I love this part. Uh, verse 4, the end of verse 4. He says, so that, so there's a purpose to this. And here's the reframing in verse 4. He says, he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. And now he's going to show us the purpose of it, the reframing. He says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Notice that, not just some afflictions, even though the ones he's facing are as a result of being a Christian, he says that the reason why we go through these afflictions and the reason why we are comforted is so that we may be able to comfort those who are also going through afflictions. This, this kind of tongue-twisted verse, he says, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, which is simply to say the purpose 
of our affliction and our suffering at one level, and we're going to see several levels, the, the first just simple basic level is, is that you go through troubles so that you may be comforted and therefore you can also comfort other people. Just simple as that, right? And the more affliction you go through and the more you are comforted, the more capacity I think you build up for the ability to be able to comfort other people as they go through troubles. In fact, here's an interesting thing. We all want to be able to be that source of comfort and impact on people in the midst of their sufferings, but none of us want to suffer, right? <laughs> no one's signing up for that. But, I, but there's no significant comfort where there's no significant affliction. You cannot experience the comfort of God unless you go through difficulties. And if you spend your life trying to run from difficulties, trying to push it aside, trying to make sure that you don't feel any of these things, you will also not experience the depth of God's comfort that he will give you. And therefore, you will not be able to give comfort, which is the whole point, to give comfort to others as you ought. And so suffering, in other words, Paul's saying, is a normal part of life, and there is purpose in your pain. Now, I just want to be careful here. Don't ever tell somebody that in the midst of their pain, right? just want to always caution. Don't run to someone who right now is going through the worst moment of their life, a traumatic event in their life. Don't run to them and say, hey, it's okay. There's a purpose in this. Don't do that. <laughs> That's terrible. Like, there's a, a time and a place to have that conversation. It's never in the midst of it happening. In fact, um, one of the points that we'll make at the end, I'll just share right now, is that uh, you should seek to comfort other people in the same way that you were comforted. How did God comfort you? What was comforting when someone came around you and cared for you in the midst of difficulties? What was that like? So, there, if, so then comfort them in the same way that you've received comfort. Um, so Paul is telling us here that the purpose in our pain is so that we can help comfort other people, but he's going to drill it down even further. I love this. Verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So now all of a sudden, he's bringing Jesus into this, and he says, our affliction and our comfort is a part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's a part of, he's saying that, that your affliction and your suffering is a way of sharing in the very life of Christ. In fact, the New Testament would say, in the Gospels, it would say, are we the students above our master? If the master suffers, do we somehow think that we should not suffer? Like, that's a strange thing, right? He's saying we should at least equally suffer with our master. We are not above our teacher. And so he's saying here that, that part of suffering, part of going through trials, is a sharing in the trials of Christ. And here's the beautiful news. It's also a sharing in the comfort that Christ received. He was comforted by his father, right? And so as we share in Christ's sufferings, we also get to share in the comfort that Jesus received from the Father. It's an incredible thing. And so he says, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. And then he says, he takes it one step further. So now we have, it's simply so that you can comfort other people. 
It's a part of what it means to be a disciple, is to, be, to share in the life of Christ, is to share in afflictions and comfort. And then next he says, verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Now this is where Paul is getting very pointed with the Corinthian church. Paul's affliction, if you read through Acts chapter 18, 17, 18, and 19, the whole beginnings of the Corinthian church, it didn't come through simple things. Paul suffered greatly in sharing the gospel in Corinth and eventually had to leave. It was a difficult thing, right? So he suffered in order for this church and these people to even know Jesus at all. He went through hardships for that. And so he's saying to them that his suffering led to their salvation. Now you see how this is reframing suffering and trials for them? They're thinking that the fact that Paul's constantly in trouble, somehow he must be doing something wrong in his life. Something must be out of whack. Paul's saying, no, the fact that I suffer shows that I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm actually sharing in the life of Jesus and I'm sharing in his comfort. And the fact that I suffered was for the sake of you knowing Jesus. It's for your salvation. And then you drill this even further down and you go, isn't this the way we're all saved? The only sinless person to ever walk on the face of this earth was Jesus. And Jesus came to this earth as a sinless person and he greatly suffered. And it's through his suffering and through his death that any one of us is saved. And without it, none of us are saved. And so do you see what Paul's doing here? They're actually criticizing him and tearing him down for suffering so much. Paul's saying... If you have a vision for what it means to be a disciple, it should at least encompass Jesus, right? It should be robust enough to encompass the life of Jesus. How dare we think that what it means to follow Jesus is to somehow live a life that was different than Jesus's when he was here? Yeah, Jesus suffered. He was mocked. His friends deserted him. He was eventually killed, put on a cross, misunderstood slandered. People followed him around trying to trick him and put him into corners and back him into places and get him to say stuff wrong. Yeah, Jesus went through that, but we, we should always be prosperous and happy and healthy and good, right? That's crazy. Paul's saying, that's not the Christian life. That's not how Jesus experienced life. (laughs) That's not the way he lived, right? That the Christian life needs to be big enough. Our understanding of it needs to be big enough to include Jesus, right? We're to be following him. And so if that's the case, then conflict and trials and comfort are all a part of that life. It's a normal part of it. And in fact, it's for the salvation of the people around you. When you go through trials and difficulties, when you and I face those kinds of things, there's no greater moment for God to shine. And we're going to find that out here in just a minute, why that is. He says, so, verse, uh, verse 6, if we're comforted, um, it's for your salvation. And he says, and if we are comforted, then it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same kinds of suffering. So you see this connection 
That in a sense, he's showing this connection in Christ. We're all this family. We're all connected. We're all together suffering together. Not, not suffering alone, but you're suffering together. That suffering together, we share in the sufferings of Christ. And you share in my, Paul said, you share in my sufferings as you also patiently endure, dif- endure difficulties and trials. And as you suffer and as you're comforted, we're doing this all together. It's a part of the life in Christ. It's part of the life as a body. This is what we do. And he says, our hope then, uh, he says, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will share in our comfort too. That's our hope. Our hope is that as you share in our sufferings, in other words, as you go through tough times, that you'll also share in our comfort. That's our hope. That's what Paul is, is after. That's what God is after in their life. Um, now what Paul's going to do here is he's going to simply share a personal testimony. This is where he gets down to, okay, let me, let me tell you personally how this affects me, right? I think some of you this morning could actually relate to this, I'm sure, that you've been driven to this point. So Paul's gonna make this real, right? He's not just talking about some theological concept of suffering and comfort. Paul's gonna go, let me tell you personally how this works in my life. In fact, he even says it that way. He says, for we, verse 8, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of, this, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. So he wants them to know of this affliction. Let me, let me share with you a personal experience, Paul says, of how this works. He says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Ever been there? There's a raw moment for Paul. Think about what he's saying there. That he and his companions were driven to a point where they despaired of life itself. That means they were at the point where they were saying like, let's just let this be done. I'm finished. You ever been to that point? It doesn't have to mean that you're going to take your own life possibly. It could simply mean you, you're just saying, I'm done with this situation. I'm done with dealing with this. I'm done. I'm done with this marriage. I'm done with this kid. I'm done with this job. I am at the end of my rope. I've had enough. I'm out. You ever been there? I can't even count, Christy could tell you, how many times I came home to her in starting the church that I thought I knew everything about, and I told her, if this is what ministry is all about, I'm finished. I said it just like that. I can't even count how many times. Can you count? It was a lot. I'm done. And I remember Dave coming to my office in the midst of difficulties and saying, no, you're not. And I would tell him, I would say, Dave, this is not what I signed up for. I remember him sitting in my office. Dave, this isn't what I signed up for. And he said, this is exactly what you signed up for. What are you talking about? Isn't this what all of us signed up for? Like we live in a broken world and you're surprised at brokenness? We live, we, we ourselves are broken and somehow we're surprised at our weaknesses and our failings. Isn't this what Peter says in 2 Peter? He says, don't be surprised by the fiery tri- trials that come your way. He was saying that because all the Christians are going, why are we suffering? Why is this going on, right? Same as we do. And he's saying, why are you surprised at this? You live in this world. Of course you signed up for this. This is what life is. This is what it means to be a Christian, to suffer and to be comforted, Right? 
And so Paul's like saying, I, 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 we despaired of life itself. And it goes on. And indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. They felt that they had received this, meaning there were things going on outside of their control and they felt as though that, that somehow they had received the sentence of death, that they were, they were just basically going to be left for dead. That's how difficult whatever thing that they were facing felt. I don't know, whatever thing. He got beaten twice, three times, got put in prison several times, <laughs> you know, several riots broke out in which he had to escape barely. Um, you know, he went through a couple things. He says, but, but listen to this. Here's the point of the whole book of 2 Corinthians, the whole letter. But that, look at verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There's another purpose statement. Why do we go through these trials? We ask ourselves this all the time. I do. You, I'm sure you have. Why, God? Why this? Why now? I don't need this right now. Why are we going through this? Why does this have to be happening? I don't want to deal with this right now. He says, these things happen to us at the ultimate level, so we just keep drilling down so that it would cause us to not rely on ourselves, but to rely on God who raises the dead. I love that he goes right to the God who raises the dead. In other words, don't tell me about trials. Don't tell me about difficulties. Don't tell me about what God can and can't do. The God that you go to for comfort is the God who raises the dead. He makes dead things live. That's why you're here. Because you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once lived. But in Christ, you've been made alive. God is the one who raises dead things and makes them live. That's who we go to. And so he, he goes on. He says, he delivered us from deadly peril in the past tense there, and then he says, and he will deliver us. He delivered us, and he'll do it again. He says, on him, and this is where we find, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And what does that delivery look like? I don't want you to be fooled here. The apostle Paul, as well as the other disciples, all died a brutal death for their faith. So don't take deliverance to mean he's always going to bail them out of hardships, right? They're in hardships already, right? The deliverance doesn't mean God just magically takes away your difficulties, right? That's what I want to believe. I want to be like, okay, God, deliver me, meaning take this away so I don't have to feel bad anymore. I don't want to be at the point of despair, right? So just remove this and I will feel better. But that's not what God does. He takes us through the fiery trials like, like Nebuchadnezzar, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He took them through the fire. He, didn't, he could have just stopped short of that, right? But I think they may not have relied upon him either if they would have done that. He took them through the fire and delivered them. But even if he should not, I love what, what the Shadrach, Meshach is saying. Even if God should not save us, meaning from the fire, we still are not going to bow to you, O Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to bow to God because we know that our God raises the dead. Right? And so he's, he's saying, look, if I should die, what does Paul say about that? I mean, to live is Christ? But if deliverance looks like me dying in this situation, he says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Because at death, I get all of Jesus. Now I just have a little bit. I get all of him. That's what Paul says in, in Philippians 1. And then I love what he says here. 
at the end of this. He says, on him we have set our hope that he'll deliver us and he will deliver us. And on him, uh, and he says that he will deliver us again. He says, and you also must, this is so great, you must help us by prayer. This simple thing. You must help us by prayer so that many will give you thanks on, on behalf, uh, or give thanks on, on our behalf for the blessings granted to us through the prayers of many. I don't know about you, but I do not think about prayer in this way enough. Because if I did, I would pray fervently all the time, right? If you and I really knew, see, God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, but how does God do that? What he's saying here is that the means by which God comforts us is through us praying for one another in affliction. So when you pray for someone who's going through suffering, you are actually providing, that's the means that God is using to actually bring them comfort. That's the way it works. Just like it works in salvation. God didn't just wave the wand and say, boom, saved. No, what did he do? He raised up people like you and me who went to their neighbors and friends and showed and shared the gospel. That's the means that people are saved. God is going to save people, but he does that through us. God is going to comfort people, but how does he do that? He does that through your prayers and mine. Man, what an amazing thing. I, I feel, I felt, as I was thinking about this this morning, I felt so convicted at how prayerless my life can be at times. How easy I could just not pray and not even realize that when I don't pray for people in suffering situations, I am, I am like holding back the comfort that God unleashes in their lives. Let us be fervent to pray for people around us. When people go, man, I just don't know what to do. Yeah, you do. Pray. You can't do more than pray unless you've already prayed. You can't do more than that. You can do more. But if you haven't done that, <laughs> everything else is just, right, just activity. But if you're doing, as you're doing those things and helping people, you need to be praying for their comfort as they go through difficulties. Um, I'm going to wrap up here, but man, I, I hope today that maybe Paul's understanding of affliction uh, helps us reframe in our minds. That when you and I are going through difficult things, we can evaluate what this affliction is a source of it. But the reality is God is the one we run to. He's a source of all of our comfort. He is a, a God of comfort. He's a father of mercies. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who delivers us. He's the one who ultimately we are comforted by. And we are comforted with a comfort that doesn't go away. It's an eternal comfort forever and ever. One day we will be in his presence face to face and we will be comforted day in and day out with this beautiful, incredible comfort that we can't even comprehend in our minds right now. Amen. And so let us, let us be those who come to him. Let us be those who lean on him. I just want to give one more piece of advice. Don't compare your suffering either to other people's suffering. We're really good about that. The older generation in the room here, don't look at the younger generation and go, what are they whining about? They haven't faced any hardships. They haven't gone through anything, right? Or you look at your neighbor and you'd be like, you know, 
this one situation happened and he's all, you know, just falling apart over it. And you're sitting here going, man, I've, I've, I've gone through way tougher things than that. What's his problem? Suck it up. We do this to each other all the time. We compare. Don't do it. Because you don't know why that event is so hard for that person. We have this happen as first responders all the time. One person sees a bad event and it, it just takes them down this rabbit hole, post-traumatic stress, all kinds of issues. Another person that was at the same call, what's the big deal? Come on, man, I've, seen this. I've been seeing this for 20 years. What they don't know is that this guy, this guy lost a child or lost a brother that was just like what they just saw on the side of the road. And so it totally messed with their head. See, we don't always understand what, what's going on in a person's life, and so we can easily judge people and go, well, that's all? <laughs> Come on, you would be tougher than that. Like our dad's always said, right? Throw some dirt on it. You know, what's the big deal? It is a big deal. It's a big deal to you in that moment. So take it serious. When your brother or your sister, or your neighbor is suffering, don't measure it. Just care. Just meet them there. Listen to their story. Gain understanding. Show comfort, encouragement, and pray. Pray for them. Pray that they will turn to the God of all comfort. and That they will receive comfort. That they themselves one day, just like us, that they themselves will be able to comfort other people with the same comfort that they receive. And remind yourself constantly, I have to do this, like remind yourself constantly that all the troubles that you face, it's to help you understand the point of this whole letter. That strength, true strength comes in weakness. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Not in the fact that we have it put together. Not in the fact that we're somehow strong, we got this, the tough guy thing, throw some dirt on it. That doesn't mean anything. That's just hogwash. We're so dependent upon God for everything. It's better to just acknowledge that and be thankful that we have a God of all comfort. Amen? Let's pray.